0: If you have been following the Discover More journey, you know that I've been using Spotify for podcasters since 2020. Download the Spotify for podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters, spotify.com slash podcasters to start creating immediately.
1: At this age, when I was late in the game, I was humble enough to know I'm willing to do this for free. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to sponge. I'm willing to choose joy. Because it was joyful for me to just pick up and do these things and try them, but also not in my 20s, where the ego would have said, no, you got to pay me, or no, that's not worth my time, or or, no, I'm, I'm better than that. So meeting this person and that person, this person led me to ultimately finding an agent.
0: Welcome to Discover More Podcast, a community for seekers of curiosity and mental health insights. I am your host, Benoit Kim, a trilingual Korean-American veteran and former policymaker. I became a clinician after witnessing the non-negotiable of mental health and nuanced perspectives in our everyday life. I intend to connect and dissect the intricacies of mental health by talking to the most fascinating humans I can possibly find. Congratulations on choosing curiosity over complacency. Let's get this started. Welcome to Discover More Podcast. Congratulations on choosing curiosity and nuances. Let's get this started. This week's guest is Marco Rosario. Marco is a seasoned DJ from Philadelphia with 22 years of experience, an aspiring actor and model with over 50 commercials under his belt, a licensed mental health professional and barber, and what he calls a smile enabler. In the First Avenue DJ Profile Review, one of the longest running and most legendary venues, where Prince and Lizzo launched their careers, to name a few. Marco shared his mission statement in the interview. I don't want to just throw an event. I want to make a memory. I came across Marco from his most recent viral Instagram reel that received 22.8 million views and nearly 100,000 likes, which led me down the rabbit hole of his multivariable background. Very multi at that. The more I researched his stories and content, however, the more confused I became. Because it's obvious to me that he did not choose the path of least resistance in life. To this, Marco describes himself as, I don't have jobs, I have joys. Marco, glad the Instagram algorithm did something positive for once and allows us to connect across the country from Philadelphia to LA. And welcome to the show, man.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, what are the chances, right, where the uh, social media has no downside but upside in in our case? (laughs) So, as I introduced in the Info below for you. I've never heard anyone say this about, I don't have jobs. I have joys. And I sense a theme, a strong theme of choosing joy, no matter the circumstances. Could you share what that means to you?
1: It's easy for folks to say, you know, I have to go to my job or I have a job at that. Um, but understanding that there are ups and downs, highs and lows with every job. Um, it's not to say that you're going to enjoy every aspect of the job, but Choosing joy, choosing gratitude in that position for myself, whether it's DJing, whether it's acting, barbering, uh, or even my work in mental health, there's going to be highs and lows, there's going to be ups and downs, there's going to be days you don't want to get out of bed, but choosing the joy, choosing the gratitude and recognizing that you're doing this for a reason. There's a purpose behind um, what I choose to do. Um, I recognize that it's a joy to have.
0: Yeah, you just said something that I think is very worth mentioning, highlighting for is no matter what job you have, you get to choose. Uh, can you talk more about the empowerment in that? Because I think a lot of times we feel powerless when we feel like we're reacting to the reality, we're reacting to the job that we have, reacting to X, Y, and Z. But you talked about the choice that you have. What do you mean by that?
1: Really, and not to, to categorize it, but really removing the, the, the victim mindset or the problem mindset. A lot of times we look at uh, discomfort or uncomfortable situations as something we're stuck in, or we quote unquote, have to stay here. Uh, We always have a choice. uh, And that can start with our mindset by rather than saying, I have to go to this job, choose the mindset of, I want to go to this job, or I get to go to this job. In that, you can find the gratitude, um, the joy in, in the opportunities that you have and you can present but also in how you carry yourself throughout the day. Um, again, it's not to say that every day is going to be a great day. Every day is not going to be, um, as they say, hunky-dory. <laughs> but there are going to be moments where you know, it, it's on the way you talk to yourself and, and the, um, the choice you make with that.
0: Yeah, I think that's how we get the power back, is by claiming control, claiming ownership. Otherwise, if we're always looking for, and there are real life circumstances, like some people don't have as much as privilege, some people are more oppressed. So that's very much real. But I think it is our our responsibility to take control. And I think uh, a good way to start is by saying that I get to choose versus I have to X, Y, and Z.
1: Right. Yeah. And doing that, it's it's, it's powerful in and of itself. It's not to say that you ultimately, you know, things are just going to magically appear like that. Making the choice is one thing but then doing the work, applying the effort. So choosing joy, choosing happiness, choosing optimism, but then choosing that I'm gonna have this positive mindset, but also recognizing now I got to apply it, now I got to present it and go, and go forth with it.
0: Yeah, so speaking of taking our, making our choices and following through, right? it's not just the, it's not going to present you on a silver platter. You do have to be intentional, you do have to be consistent and follow through. In 2015, from my research, that's when you started your acting and modeling career. And Mm -hmm. that's also the same time you became a licensed mental health professional. And I think for a lot of actors and actresses, like acting and entertainment is a tough, tough road. And most of them start very young. Yeah. Very, very young. But for you, you started pretty late. Mm -hmm. You know, why weren't you afraid to tackle something that... "Quote unquote," you had the disadvantage for because you came later in life.
1: Um, I mean, there's layers to this. Uh, I wouldn't say I wasn't afraid. I was definitely afraid to uh, explore it, especially like you said, being an older, uh, an older participant in the acting world. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I realized, like you said, I got into it late. Whereas I look at it like I got it. I got into it right on time, because if I would have pursued acting in my teens and my twenties. I would have burnt out and fizzled away very quickly. I would have gotten frustrated with rejection. I would have probably not handled it very well. And who knows where that would have led me to. However, this may sound morbid. Uh, I lost my father in 2014. And I tell folks often, I needed my father to pass in order for me to live. And what that means is that my father was very sports driven, played double A baseball, minor leagues. And that was kind of like, Raising his son, you know, you know, you play sports too, and it's kind of piggybacked off of that. And the acting side of things wasn't really, you know, wasn't really an option. It wasn't really there, but it was always something I wanted to do. Whereas as my father was passing away in 2014, I was also getting married at this time. Everybody's been to weddings, you know, a number of weddings with the introductions and all of that stuff for the reception. And I wanted to do something different. So I had a film student recreate uh, the end scene from one of my favorite movies, Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times. And my wife, fiance at the time, to her credit, was all for it. She doesn't want anything to do with the camera (laughs) or, you know, the spotlight, but she was all for it. And working with the film student, I knew exactly what I wanted. I wanted... Uh, this, this clip to be this way. I wanted the black and white grainy film. And then I wanted it to go into the, you know, the, the, the into the color screen as, as a scenes trans transitioned and everything. And I was taking direction well, but I was also giving direction. And the film students were like, you, you, you ever try acting? Like you're pretty good at this. You ever want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was one of the things I was like, yeah, this can, this, I could actually try this. This is interesting. And again, my father after this passed six weeks after. And I made a pact with myself to say, if not now, when? There was opportunity here for me to strike. There was I always look at signs as you know that opportunity with working with a film student and saying, I don't want this to be the last time this is this happens. So one thing led to another, a film student used me for one of their student films. <laughs> In turn, another student needed me for a film, and keep in mind, at this age, when I was late in the game, I was humble enough to know I'm willing to do this for free. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to sponge. I'm willing to choose joy, because it was joyful for me to to just pick up and do these things and try them, but also not in my 20s, where the ego would have said, no, you got to pay me, or no, that's not worth my time, or or, no, I'm, I'm better than that. So meeting this person and that person, this person led me to ultimately finding an agent. And I still find that kind of pretentious to say, like, I have an agent, you know, like, (laughs) but it it was always the mindset that I said, it wasn't that I was late to the game. I was right on time because in my heart, I was ready to to take on the the opportunity.
0: Yeah. Sorry about the loss of your father. I do know that the grief that comes with losing a parent is the... There's a lot of different levels of pain, but mm-hmm. I think uh, the grief of losing a parent is one of the highest tiers of pain. Mm-hmm. So I, I empathize with that deeply. And I want to zoom in on what you said, Marco, is I was humble enough to take directions or take whatever instructions from a film student who has a background in filming and giving mm-hmm. cinematic pieces, right? Yeah. But I think a lot of that, whether it's humility, whether it's your curiosity, whatever you want to phrase it as, I think it comes down to your ability to be receptive yeah. for what's coming your way, this receptive receptivity, mm-hmm. right? Where do you think that comes from? Because I sense that in your ability to be receptive towards the signs, right? Or your receptive ability to listen to the directions, which gave you this momentum to be in more films and finally finding an agent. But have you always been receptive? Where is that from?
1: I always have been receptive. Whether that was, again, my sports background when I was younger. Um, not so much thinking a step ahead, but feeling. Feeling what's to come. What's, what, what's being presented here? And how am I processing this? And how am I going to not react, but respond to this? Um, the receptiveness from the acting aspect was understanding that I am wet behind the ears. I am completely new to this like and i was i was humble enough to say that like i i had no idea what it is i wanted to do when i got into acting i just knew it was something that was a unique opportunity i've always been interested in whether it was commercial whether it was uh television whether it was host and spokesperson which i had never heard from until i got into acting which is like teleprompter work and doing work for like hotels or hospitals and i'm like wait that's acting like i never knew and i'm like and then you know, being being able to present and speak on stage in front of people, public speaking, but also that form of acting where your inflection and your tone and your delivery and all and your pacing and everything is important. And I was receptive to all of that because I was like, I don't know anything, <laughs> but I'm here for it because, again, these film students who are maybe half my age at the time, and I'm just – I'm sponging everything from them. Tell me why you're standing here with the camera tell me why we're over here. What's this thing with the lighting do? What happens if I go over here? Why do you want me on this angle? Like asking all of these questions that again, younger me would have been like, it don't even matter. Just, you know, put me where I need to be. I'm the star, blah, blah, blah. But being receptive to it also means I'm now receptive of everybody in the room, not just myself the the cameraman, the director, you know, the person holding the mic, you know, you know everybody involved, and it it gives everybody that teamwork feeling, but it also makes me feel like we're all accomplishing something.
0: I want to go down into the uh, your career. Speaking of multivariable backgrounds, different things that you do, I think you're in a really unique position, Marco. From my point of view, what I mean by that is, entertainment business or modeling slash acting is one of the most toxic. And stressful positions to be in. It's very, very tough. Mm-hmm. There's so much talent out there. There's endless of good-looking people, talented people, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, you're also a uh, mental health professional, which I think gives you this unique perspective. Uh, how have that experience been like doing these two seemingly unrelated professions? at the Same time, I do think that there are some spilled over benefits, maybe one way or the other. Feel free to take this however you see fit.
1: Whew, um it's never a dull moment. <laughs> Put it that way. Um, speaking on myself, I hear rejection every single day. So in regards to my own mental health, how do I manage that? Um, what I mean by that, by the rejection every day is I may wake up to, I was expecting an email or expecting a, um, a callback and I don't get it. Uh, or my agent flat out tells me, Hey, you know, you know, better luck next time. You know, so there's opportunities mm-hmm. everywhere. If you're willing to, to, To search for them. It's asking yourself what lane you want to go into. And understanding, like you said, there's so many beautiful people. Inside and out. There's so many talented people. But it's understanding that you're not going to book everything. You're not going to be able to do everything. And then I meet people in the acting world who feel like they can (laughs) do everything. And want to do everything. And no matter what the cost. (laughs) So I've met people... In the hospital where I work, that are comparable to people that I've met in the acting world. When you're dealing with personalities and, you know, personality behaviors and disorders even. Interesting to me because I always put that in perspective and say we are one bad reaction or one poor reaction away from changing the direction of this, you know, this thing we're doing in life. Whether it's acting or, you know, whatever whatever we're doing. I always tell people up front, you know, if if I can be vulnerable and I can be authentic and be genuine upfront, then I, I feel you you can be the same with me. And I would welcome that because especially in acting where we wear the mask and we kind of present differently, I'm going to be the same person, whether I'm working in the hospital, whether I'm DJing, whether I'm acting, well, when the camera's not on, uh, you know, as far as the character. Um, but I, I try to always be the same person consistently across the board. That way it's I want you to feel comfortable with who you are, if you know who you are. And if not, we can talk about it.
0: I want to zoom in on what you just said, Marco, that you not only experience rejections every day, but you're hyper aware of this possibility that you're always one bad reaction away from losing whatever you're doing. Can you elaborate more on that?
1: Yeah. Like I said, not every day is going to be a good day. Um, There may be days where... um, if we're talking acting, I'm only anticipated to be on set for three hours. We go four. We go five. We go six. It's ninety some degrees. You know there are variables, and it's like, well, we didn't agree to this—the uh, rate or the time or you know whichever. You can break down. The ego can kick in. You know I can't work like this under these conditions. You know like you can you can go there. And that can kind of ruin the reputation for whether the whether or not these people would work with you again. You know, because again, keep in mind, that's a client. You know, you're working for someone. Granted, it's a privilege and a great opportunity that you have, and they hired you to to, to do that, but you're easily replaceable. That's also with acting. That's also with DJing. You know, I could go to a, a, a DJ event and really not have the mindset or the attitude for the music that I'm playing. And I've done plenty of parties where... It's not my cup of tea, whether it's a sweet 16 or, you know, the school dances or, you know, how they say the kids today, the music today. So I can go into it with the attitude of whatever, I'm getting paid. I'll just play whatever and, and get through these next few hours. Chances are I'm probably not getting called back. Chances are I'm probably getting a bad review. It's again in that mindset. I can choose joy. If I choose to take the opportunity, I could choose joy, treat it like it's my last job and carry on from there. Same thing in the hospital and anybody who works in a hospital setting will, will know that patients will test your patients. You know, they'll, 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 push your buttons and they'll get you to the point where it's like, I'm one bad decision away from being in the gown as opposed to being on the other side here. <laughs> so, and it, and it happens. We're, we're human at the end of the day, we're human in that aspect. So a lot of it just comes down to, you know, having to be able to not react, but respond recognize what's going on here, not personalize a lot of the things that are going on and always be open to have those conversations. Hey, is there anything I can do here? Hey, is there anything we need to work on to to speed up the process, whether it's acting? Um, hey, is there anything you, you need for music is there, in terms of the kids? Do the kids have a specific playlists? Is there anything that I can do for them during the event? You know, just giving examples as far as ways to, you know, it may again, not be the ideal situation I want to be in, but I have no choice but to make the most of it because... I would like to continue doing what i'm doing
0: yeah that reminds me of a quote where he says the bliss is a space between your response and the uh, stimuli and i think between that space lies our power but then obviously you can only tap into that space if you have mindfulness practices you meditate maybe you understand that humans are entirely reactive species period or just eight billion individual trigger points walking around every single day navigating what we call life And out of that 8 billion people, some people are more mindful, some are less. And obviously it does directly contribute to the world burning down every single day. Um, but that's my cynicism speaking through, (laughs) speaking of a balancing, you know, maybe cynicism and optimism for you, how do you Marco balance between these reviews that you get from your gigs as a DJ from booking a show or a shoot as a model slash actor versus. You know your worth. You Mm -hmm. know that you're wholesomely who you are. You are, Marco, despite and spite of what the review says. At the same time, your job in many areas are predicated on the validations of your clients and these gigs that you do. So how do you balance the YouTube?
1: Okay, this might not be the popular answer, but the power of saying no. I have absolutely no problem saying no. We'll start with acting again. I may see um, submissions for certain roles or certain uh, castings that are coming up, and I decide whether or not I, I want to do it. I look at the you know the semantics, all the specifics that come with it. No, no, I'll go somewhere else. No, I'm gonna you know turning down DJ events. Or, luckily, in a position where I'm in, I can pass that on to another DJ. You know, I I can't be in three places at one time, but I also understand. Knowing my worth, I'm more beneficial in a club setting or a wedding. So being able to say, "Hey, no, listen, I'm not available that day, or I've got someone that I, that I feel comfortable sharing, you know, with you." Um, it's in that open line of communication, you know. I've done it in the hospital with with patients where you know I've talked to coworkers and I said, "Hey, listen, I don't feel comfortable doing this group, this particular group. Would you do this one and we'll switch?" rather than try to put my best foot forward and 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 fake it as they say because i don't feel that's i'm i'm doing the the patients a disservice in that attitude in that aspect so being able to say no and recognizing when my worth is you know being best best suited for a specific role or a specific gig or
0: anything like that you have to be self aware and be aware of what ticks you for both good and bad for you to then create that space to respond to right uh, this is a personal curiosity from what you just said. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners at this point are thinking, Jesus, hospital, patients, acting, DJing. They're, I'm sure they're confused as well, of course, from your multivariable background. Right. But how do your maybe coworkers in the hospital or maybe a fellow DJs, how do they feel about all these different really cool things that you do as someone that is you know deeply curious and passionate that you are?
1: I can answer that from the hospital side. A lot of DJs, I'm not really sure. I haven't really tapped into this conversation with them. Um, Just, I think, because a lot of our stuff is in passing, you know, gig to gig, or usually it's based around the gigs. Um, The hospital, though, 100% supportive. I started at the hospital shortly after, like four months after I graduated. And I went in as a per diem employee, knowing that I was going to pursue acting at the same time. It was something I wanted to do. And I also had my DJ work. Since the pandemic, my hours have increased, but I also, again, let them know this is my availability and I'm not changing my status in terms of per diem to part-time or part-time to full-time or any of that stuff. I'm willing to give you what you're willing to take. And the where I work has been entirely, entirely supportive of that. And they also say like, when do you sleep? How do you, you how do you manage all of this? And I'm like, again, It may seem like I'm active and I'm busy, but it's by design. You know, I kind of call it organized chaos, but I don't want to paint it in a picture of like, oh my God, he's all over the place. It's organized in that I can tell you day in and day out what I'm doing and I thrive on it because it's not boring to me, but it's also not anything that I can't handle. I'll give you yesterday. For example, I'm at the hospital on a Monday, uh, following the hospital, I come home, I have Uh, I'm taking Spanish lessons because I want (laughs) to, on top of that, I'm I'm taking that. So I know I work at the hospital until three o'clock. My Spanish lesson is at 4 p.m. I do Spanish from four to five. I have to eat. Okay. So I'm going to eat dinner after that. And then I have some downtime. Then I normally do my mental health Monday streams on Twitch, uh, where I provide like an hour or so of insight to um, people on there. So I I have that window of how am I going to transition After Spanish, I'm eating dinner, taking time to myself. I'm chill. I'm good. Then it's time to present and do my mental health stream at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, And again, I set the tone there. I can go an hour, I can go two, I can go as long as I want. But I check in with myself and I say, we're covered here. Everything is good. You guys want to check in with me? By all means, you know, set that boundary. But yeah, I've been presented with a lot of questions from coworkers. How do you do what you do? why do I do what I do? Because a lot of the people that I work with are set in that nine to five um, conditioned mindset and that works for them. It's also, I'm always open to say, Hey, you know, you can always do the things that you want to do. You know, just, you know, you got to prioritize and try to make the time for them.
0: Yeah. I'm sure the questions or the curiosity that a lot of your coworkers have is pretty common at this point of the podcast for a lot of the listeners as well. So I do appreciate that. And once again, it goes back to how we started it. It's not that you have to, it's you get to make decisions about what you want to do or where you allocate your energies and time. And in addition, you're also a full-time father, as you call yourself, of course, a partner to your wife, your family. So not even to mention all that priorities. In terms of the, I guess, the joys and your ability to say no to the opportunities that are not aligned with who you are, yeah. like your worth, mm-hmm. and also saying yes to the right opportunities. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of uh, successful people, they're better at saying no than saying yes. Yeah. But by saying no, you free up enough capacity emotionally, physically, mentally to pursue what you want. Yeah. I want to visit one of your highlight moments of your life is when you performed and sold out event at the uh, first avenue in monopolis Mm -hmm. where the where it was a trampoline so to speak where springboarded a lot of greats right prince the chocolate rain movie the show and also lizzo and the list goes on and on Mm. uh could you walk us through the experience of this joy that you felt from saying no to the opportunities but also saying yes to the right ones
1: Okay, i gotta shout out my man uh dave paul dj dave paul out in san francisco uh i've been with him He and I have been working together for about, oh my gosh, 10 years. Oh, (laughs) that hit me. Um, About 10 years now. He and I worked our way up to First Avenue. Like I said, it's been out in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Philadelphia here, New York, D.C., multiple cities. But Minneapolis was like the creme de la creme, as they say, because of Prince. You know, it's a Prince and Michael Jackson party. And Purple Rain, you know, the movie from 1984, where if you've seen the movie, that venue is what put Prince on the map. And to say it was surreal would be an understatement. Like just to step in there before sound check and just like the look around, right? Like, oh my God. Like you're just, you. I'm taking everything in. And you, I just had that feeling like this is going to be an incredible night. Like this is going to be like an amazing, amazing night. And we knew pre-sale tickets and everything and it was building up and I was just like, can you believe this? Like, are we really going to do this? Like, is this like, you know, 1200, 1300? And it's like, yo, this might happen. And as the doors come, yeah, we have a sold out event at first Avenue. And I'm like, to me, that was a culmination of the work he's put in the work I put in. He'll always say, he's like, dude, you have enough energy for both of us. Like, (laughs) I don't know how you like, you know, just as far as like the optimism and the, you know, the, the going on stage and everything, but it's everything is energy. Everything is energy because he and I knew this was something special. And to see the audience, and these people came from all over, not just Minneapolis. I think there was, I remember there was a lady that came from Australia. That was it. They were in Minneapolis, I guess, for that week or weekend or whatever. And they came over and said to us, this was part of our trip, like coming to Minneapolis to, vi- to visit, you know, Prince and Prince-like attractions, but also this event. And I was like... Wow, you know, like wow, like to take all that in. And I always say there's there's bucket list events. I can't top that in terms of DJing for myself. Like there's there's nothing I can do that that's going to get any bigger or better than that for me. Because it's actually one of the events where I got to walk away. You know, I'm with another DJ, so he would take on a set and you know play play a set for a little bit. And I actually walked away from the booth and went up to like the top area and just looked at everything. I just like. Like I took a moment to take all that in. That was, that was, I took a picture too, (laughs) but it was like, (laughs) it was insane to me. I was just like, is this is really, this really happened. Like it it was great.
0: Yeah, man, I I got some goosebumps on this side of the table because (laughs) I, not only because you create an event Mm that will forever be a someone's memory Mm -hmm. from Australia as part of that tourism week, whatever, Mm -hmm. that's mind boggling to begin with is that someone will always carry your performance with them. Yeah in other side of the country or other side of the world which Mm -hmm. is pretty nuts um and yeah i I came i i I do know that that's in alignment with your mission statement of you don't want to just create an event you want to create a memory And sounds like you were able to achieve that on a whole different level for many many people 1300 attendance so for you as a professional dj i'm sure you've heard this saying from many people that the generation before us Mm -hmm. always hype up their generation music and talk trash about the new ones. <laughs> so as a millennial, I've heard this saying of the eighties and nineties music was the best. I was like, first of all, I'm a nineties baby. <laughs> Secondly, I feel like music is just where, cause music's a vehicle and a yeah. vessel mm-hmm. and that's where people and music just connect. So I don't really think there is a better genre of music, so to speak. But for you, how do you view that thoughts or this debate between, oh, my generation of music is always better than yours. Do you feel like as a professional DJ, is there such thing as an inferior genre of music?
1: Not an inferior genre of music, but when you put it in terms of professionalism, the, to me, the music is secondary. Uh, any good DJ will tell you 90% of DJing is observing the crowd. And looking out at that crowd and knowing exactly what to play and when to play it. It could be a song. It could be from the Motown era. It could be a song from the 90s. It could be a song that just, what I like to call a universal sound. You walk into a department store and everybody knows it. You know, like it's one of those songs. You may not dance in the department store, but everybody knows it. So it's 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 one of those feelings, again, in terms of being able to observe and be aware of what, what you're surrounded by in, in a room. And that's actually the beauty of the parties now in that when we do an 80s party or a 90s party, we get a lot of millennials. We'll get a lot of... 20 somethings, you know, early 20 somethings that are like, wow, your mom raised you right. You know, like it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really interesting to see and they'll dress up and everything. And they'll do like the, uh, the, you know, the colors and everything. It's, it's really, it's really fun to see to answer that question though. Like I look at the, even like patients with dementia, how they say a lot of their long-term memory comes from music of their teenage years, their high school years. So I feel like that is more of a, a heart's connection rather than a mind's connection in that, yes, it's stemming memory, but it it gives you that feeling of where you were and, and who you were with, you know, when you were 15, 16 years old. And I can say for myself, like I am always in my downtime when I'm not DJing. Yeah. I'm kind of stuck in the nineties. I'm kind of stuck in that, you know, like the music from my, my high school time. I'm not, not, not dissing or denying the music of today, but I think it's, it's fundamentally packaged a certain way as opposed to what it was back, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, or even the 2000s, early 2000s.
0: I think the two most powerful vehicles of cultural and whatever breakers is food and music. Uh, Do you think that the language and the art of food and music are universal? It transcends the sports. There is this competitive bloodthirst drive, right? And it also divides. But most often at large, music and food, they don't really divide. They only unify people. And uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, this is another personal curiosity of mine is, have you ever, do you remember the first few gigs or performance where you just bombed it? Because uh, I sort of p- view musical performance, whether you're a rapper, musicians, or a DJ, similar to stand-up comics, because you have to time the timing. There's a rhythm to it. There's a cadence and the tempo to how you perform. I would love to visit some of the highlighted uh, bombing experience that you have, if any.
1: Not to my, you know, it wasn't anything I did. I got caught in the middle of how do I move forward from this? Long story short, somebody's ex showed up at the wedding, put it that way. Rather than bring down the music, I heightened it. And I kind of was like um, an instigator, I guess you could say. And again, this is early in my DJ uh, career that, uh, you know, lesson learned. But I thought I was being funny. I thought I was trying to make a, a rough situation lighter. You know, I was looking for the humor, looking for like, ha let's move on. And it didn't work because what turned into an altercation between two people ended up escalating into, into much more. And the party got shut down. And you want to say bombed. Like that was complete bomb. Stop everything. Stop traffic. Shut it down. You're leaving. And I felt terrible because it was one of them things like I, I, I didn't have to be funny. I didn't have to play the theme from Bad Boys. You know, I didn't have to – because <laughs> <yeah, laughs> I remember it like, you know, the, the cops are on their way, dude. Like you you, you kind of messed up here. You know, I didn't have to do any of that. I didn't have to like you – know, like sound effects and things like that. Like, it was just – yeah, I, I tried to be funny. I tried to be comical. I tried to be the lighthearted one to say, come on, man, we can, we can move past this and – in the heat of the moment no nope, bad decision
0: i mean i shout out to your comedic ingenuity and creativity mm-hmm. that went into playing the bad boys you know hyping up the scene yeah even though comedic like, timing was there. <laughs> yeah comedic timing was definitely there that the punchline didn't miss but i right. appreciate the creativity let's uh write this train about me being multifaceted as a uh, this marco this person that encompasses different not just professions but different careers All at the same time I could imagine some of the listeners at this point might be asking themselves, Oh, but we live in a specialized society. You want to be a special, you want to be a specialist versus the generalist. You should dedicate five to 10 years refining and honing one profession before you do something else. And of course, that's your case. I do know that you started a barber and then you, after X amount of years, you started to answer to your curious call to see where life could lead you down. But we do live in capitalistic America where the subsystem thinking, this subspecialty is put on a pedestal. They're like, oh, you can only do one thing and do that thing well. Don't even think about other things. Just do that. Do you have anything that comes up for you for anyone that might be thinking like that or dealing with some of these chatter?
1: Yeah, that irks me. (laughs) Not many things irk me, but that irks me. Um, I say that because... If I need a back surgery, I wouldn't go to a dentist. Yeah, obviously, because you're going to go to a specialist. Right. But who's to say you can't specialize, you know, in that one thing and generalize in those other things. The reason I'm a mental health professional today is because I was a barber or I am a barber. And many men will tell you your barber is your first form of therapy. You feel comfortable sharing everything with them. You'll, you know, the, the old saying goes, you'll cheat on your wife before you cheat on your barber. You know, they can be vulnerable there. They can let their hair down. Literally, you know, they can let their hair down and just chill. They can hang out and talk about whatever. And that to me taught me how to be a good listener, how to listen to understand rather than listen to respond. I wasn't interested in the banter or the back and forth. I would hear other people, you know, talking sports or whatever the case was and just understanding they sound so passionate. Why? You know, and when it was my time to speak, I would do those things. And for myself, I'm very aware. I'm very receptive. Um, I'm emotionally intelligent. So it was a natural transition for me to say, I want to help people. I want to help people, you know, in these positions, in this, in this area. DJing was always a hobby that I said, you know what? I'm going to make money off of a hobby. I, I, since I was a child, you know, an infant, music was always around me. So I was like, if there was one thing I love, hands down above anything else, it's music. So how can I benefit and how can I profit from this? I became a DJ. Acting, like I said, I always felt like I was on stage. I always felt like I could present. I always felt like I had the personality or the, you know, the conviction to hold your attention. Um, it's not that I wanted attention. It's that I felt I, I, I could present it in that way. So when the time was right, I got into acting. This is a moment of vulnerability. I went to a, a seminar in San Diego. Uh, we won't drop names. I went to a seminar in San Diego and I went vulnerably looking for answers, looking for help, looking for some kind of guidance. And I said the same thing. I said, I do all of these things and people are enamored by the fact that I, ha- I do all of these things and how do I find all this time? But for myself, how do I hone all of it? How do I bring it all together? How do I channel everything, all of my joys, all of my passions? And how do I create this dynamic? And he told me the same thing. Maybe you should just focus on one thing. And I'm like, this man's very successful. However, you define a success, you know, rich, well off. Um, But he wasn't listening. Because I told you that I, I have all of these passions. Why would I... Eliminate or remove, you know, some of them to focus on one when I feel confident in everything that I do. And if I need to grow and build on it, I take the time and I prioritize that. If I need to learn more continuing education with mental health, I do so. If I take acting classes, I do so. You know, barbering lessons and stuff like that, as styles change, I do so. So it's I, I walked away from that so deflated and so like defeated. Searching for these answers is not going to help on the external level. I need to find this from within. And from that time in November, I said to myself, and without cursing, if it's not, a, if it's not an F yes, it's a no. Everything that I enjoy doing, it's an F yes. I absolutely love helping people, being of service to people in the mental health realm. I love performing. When it comes to acting and saying yes to the certain roles that I take, I love DJing when the energy and the crowd and all of that's, you know, everything's, the the essence is all there. I love cutting hair for the simple fact that I get to see people that I've known since my childhood, you know, and friends that I've made, you know, recently since the pandemic and all. I love that. Everything else. Okay. I don't get distracted by it.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times people tend to give you the advice that they think you want to hear, Mm -hmm. uh, but then that doesn't really work for mindful people.
1: But I feel like they give the advice that works for them based on their experiences.
0: Or the so-called success blueprint, according to the interweb, right? Yeah. I share that. That story resonates me pretty deeply because I had this life coach a year and a half ago, Jacqueline, amazing. She was a two-time TED speaker, best-selling author. She talks about how during her deepest stage of depression and loss and hopelessness, her therapist actually told her that, hey, what do you want to do in five years? And she's like, what do you mean? I can't even think about tomorrow or next week. I'm not thinking about five years. I think that would have been a good advice or a good question in any other context except the context of life that she was in at that very moment. And it completely missed. And she prematurely terminated her uh, therapeutic relationship with her therapist because she's like, this is useless. She's not listening. And that's what active listening is, right? You're not just listening, but you're truly internally foregoing of what you want to say, what you think the other person want to hear, just let it go. And just literally taking what they say at their face value. Um, and that's, that's a very difficult skill that I really picked up from doing podcasting for the past three years. And it has benefited me to me as a clinician in my career as a boyfriend to my girlfriends, to my friends. When I go to a uh, barber shops, they tell me things they've never told any people. And I'm just listening and I'm just responding to what they're saying. And they tell me all of these things. I was like, huh, oh, I guess I did choose the right career at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. I love, there's nothing, nothing I love more, especially in the barber chair, because men particularly when they go, you know, I've never told anybody this, but you know, and, and they lead with that. And it's just like, The amount of trust that they have in me or the amount of comfort that they feel talking to me like that, that really, that really bodes well. Like I'm like, wow, like I appreciate the fact that, you know, you're willing to share this, you know, and again, you know, as a professional mental health professional, that's also taught me again, the active listening, not having to respond to everything that they say. Just listen, let them get it out, you know, let them, you know, have their moment as they say and If they're asking you for advice, sure. But also, are you asking the right questions? Do you mind if I, you know, give you advice? Do you mind if I, you know, help you with this? You know, rather than just say, hey, here's what you need to do. Here's what you should do. You know, (laughs) because a lot of us will do that, and you know, being reactionary. I find so much joy in that because it's, there's so many guys that I've met that are, you know, they have the wall up, you know, they're bottled up and they're, you know, they're programmed to be a certain way. And over time, I've realized that, you know, wow. These guys are just like guys, just like anybody else. You know that they, they just you know, they want love and affection and to be understood and you know to 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 know that they matter.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of a woman may not understand this, but I do know that Marcos shared the quote as a joke that men will cheat on their spouses before they <laughs> cheat on their partners. Yes, of course it's a joke. It's but a joke. <laughs> uh, men do share a very special relationship with their barbers. Yeah. And even among men, if you are a barber cheater, so you get shunned upon by many, many people. And <laughs> I, it's not just a hair—it's not just a haircut. It's the presentation. It's the energy exchange. It's the right. It's all that chemistry that's very is. inarticulable.
1: It's funny, and I, I laugh at that because during the pandemic, obviously everything was shut down, and um, even for myself, acting and DJing was shut down. But also barbershops were shut down. So on my Facebook, I was like, you know, well. I understand barbershops are shut down but my house is open and it's only 8 steps from the door to my chair and you know I took all the precautions with sanitizing and everything like that and just being like silly you know just putting it out there I gained so many more clients people came in for for haircuts but and this is why I say it hey do you know such and such as far as do you know how they cut you're not going to tell them that I came did you no <laughs> <laughs> like so, but seriously like It gets to the point where they're like, they're very nervous because once you have that relationship with your barber, they know your head. They know the nuances, you know, as far as the crown and the different, you know, squirrels in your hair. They know all of that stuff. I'm comfortable with this person. Like, I don't want to change, you know, who I'm with. And I, I totally get it. And human nature, a lot of folks aren't really receptive to change in the first place.
0: Well, I get a new stylist barber when I move to a new city. And the, that first haircut is so stress-inducing because you have to over-contextualize. You have to explain everything. I usually save a two to three pictures to show them in addition to the reference points. Very stressful. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't care about my clothing, outfit, the car I drive, but I do care about the haircut. The hair, yeah. Most men most mm-hmm. men do. So, um, And I do this on a funny note. I did cheat on my barber in Philly because after the COVID shutdown, uh, that barber didn't take any precautionary measures. Like they were just letting people roll through. And I was like, ah, I can't, I'm, I work in a clinic. My partner is a physician. I can't do this. So I'll force to depart and found a new barber. Uh, and when I walked past him and the barber, cause that barber is on my way home, my original barber, I will feel guilty. Yep. <laughs> I, w- I would have this unsubconscious <laughs> walk of shame and I would h- cross the street Knowing that I might encounter my barber, See, yeah. so uh, yeah, it, it's real. It's on a funny note. So I sense a thread of your ability to deal with the uncertainties, your ability to deal with the unknown, right? Because you're right. As a reminder, I forgot that because of COVID shutdown, barbers, a lot of brick and mortar service-based industries were complete shutdown with no tentative date on the horizon on a macro level applies to your ability as an actor and model, right? Booking gigs, even as DJ, because nothing is guaranteed. There's no guarantee streams of income, so to speak. So I feel like this level or this ability to deal with unknown is embedded in a lot of your identities. Can you speak more about how have you dealt with uncertainties? But like, what does uncertainty mean to you?
1: Um, there's two. There's two ways I can look at it. I can be afraid of it, which is human nature. I don't know what's the, you know, what's expected. I don't know what's to come or I can be excited for it. And, you know, fear and excitement are the same cognitive emotion. You know, it's which one I choose to give energy to. So when the pandemic hit, like anybody else, I had some fears. I had some, you know, reluctance. You know, I had some res- <laughs> some hesitation in terms of what I was going to do next. I didn't want to, again, we didn't know But like anybody else who was affected by the pandemic, I had a lot of downtime. You know, I wasn't really submitting for acting jobs because they weren't there. My DJ gigs were canceled. So you scroll social media from time to time and you look and see what's going on just to pass the time. And I just happened to be looking on Facebook and I noticed a theme. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Uh, what's going to happen? Why are they saying this? How am I going to pay my rent? How, like all of these fears again, and all these worries. And I'm sure anybody knows like their social media or Facebook can be littered with, you know, negativity, but I didn't see this as negativity. I saw this as more of a help, you know, searching for answers. And that's where I just looked at it. Like, I don't know what's going to come of this. But if I lead with authenticity and serve, maybe I can help someone, and maybe in turn by helping someone, that could help me. Maybe this could lead me in a direction to say, "Yeah, what do I got to lose?" You know, I'm sitting around, literally doing nothing. <laughs> so let's let's see what happens. And that's really you know the the, the take I had on it. Um, same thing with acting. Same thing with, with uh, working in the hospital. I always say. Working in the hospital is never a dull moment because the census always changes. You know, I work, um, I work in an inpatient facility where the average patient's there, well, was there seven to 10 days. Now with placement, things are a little longer, but the census, you know, the, the roster, I guess you could say, is changing. We might get those patients that are like, oh, okay, functionally, they're, they're, they're good and, you know, they, they have good uh, skills in terms of being able to receive the information. And then there's days where we get those unpredictable individuals, you know, violent tendencies, you know, unpredictable behaviors. So, again, never a dull moment. And that is the unknown. You know, how am I going to adjust to this? How am I going to handle this? How am I going to modify the group or my approach with them? Leading with authenticity, being genuine, being upfront with them. And understanding that, again, if I'm able to serve them, if I'm able to help them in some way, this could lead to the breakthrough that they need and make my job much, <laughs> much easier going forward.
0: Yeah. I appreciate how not just authentic and genuine, but you're very fluid with the way you talk about different sections and sectors of your identities, right? Because I mean, every time you speak, it's DJs, the hospital, the patients, the barber, right? But even your way of life, your way of being, I could see that all these intersectional identities truly really have become part of who you are. And I really appreciate fluidity with talking about your experiences in and out of different professions. it's very cohesive, right? Uh, let's zoom in on something you mentioned that during the, the great pause, as a lot of people call COVID, right? But especially in the beginning, it was a lot scarier than just the great pause. We thought it was a great death or the great End. During that you talked about you were doing social media, scrolling, scrolling, and a lot of people do have a lot of the feedbacks and timelines are littered with negativity, as you said. But as you mentioned, I think you might know where this question goes. The way we came across is, of course, algorithms and you being the beneficiary of a viral sensations of this, a filter reel with 22.8 million views, <laughs> which is 100,000 likes from people you've, you'll never see each other. You'll never know what they look like. They could be Sally Pants 24 on, right? You, you don't know. Um, but that's a very unique experience that not a lot of people have but a lot of people are dream of especially teenagers young adults content creators so like oh man if i could have one content that gets 22 million views that could really change someone's trajectory of career if they're in the content creation world can you just walk us through the experience and just uh share what came with it some of your perspective and this is a vast question but take it however you like
1: Mm, i'm gonna take it consistently the way I've taken it since it's happened. It may be boring to some. I'm sorry, but (laughs) I'll preface with with that. Um, It was just one of those things. I was scrolling, sitting around with the kids. I think it was like right after dinner. uh, And just looking, just looking at stuff. And this reel had come up that was like the top part of the filter and then the bottom part is my face. But the top part is like both of my left sides and the bottom part is both of my right side. So it looks like... Two different people, but it's the same person. And people in the comments were like, it's it's the lighting. It's it's this, it's that, it's, you know, it's two different people, whatever they came up with. I honestly did not entertain the comments. But it was all just because, oh, this looks cool. I'll share it. And I never, for myself, I'm not the type I don't I don't do TikTok. I don't do reels. Like I don't get caught up in the, you know, the the challenges or any of that hashtag stuff. I, I I'm not one for that. Um not knocking it, it's just it's just not me. It's just not something I wanted to do. So I did the did the reel. I showed the kids. I'm like, hey, look at this. And kids, as teenagers do, went, huh. Eh. I was like, okay, cool. I think I'm going to share it. And I shared it. And so I just, and I left it at that, not thinking anything of it. It just went, I guess, like the algorithm caught on. And every time I opened Instagram, it just went, it, just, it went from, I don't know, 100,000 views, 200,000 views, how, you know, how it goes to one day my buddy caught on. To me. He's like, dude, this might reach a million. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, what, what do I do? He's like, dude, you're in the algorithm. You should really like take advantage of this. I'm like, what do you mean take it? Like, what do I do? Like, I'm not going to do another filter or anything like that. Like, that's not the content I want to do, if anything. So, again, with me being aware, I was like, if I'm going to be recognized for something, what do I want to be recognized for? Like, if this is bringing traction to my page, what am I going to do? So, I started doing mental health reels. And a lot of the mental health minutes were one-minute blurbs about probably the content I was covering that week or the week prior And just giving some insight just to, again, draw traction on my page. And little by little, those started to pick up. 8,000 views, 9,000, whatever. But that other filter kept going. 1 million turned to 4 million, 6 million. One day, me and my buddy literally watched it go from 8 to 10 million overnight. The likes, the comments. And I realized I don't want any parts of this. I don't want, I don't want the, do, the dopamine rush to come with it. Because believe me, I'm checking, I'm checking to see, but you saw like the Instagram stories. I would make fun of it. Every time it reached another million, I would be like, this is my thriller. This is my thriller album. Like this is, you know, this is, this is what I'm going to be known for. Absolutely nothing. You know, and I would kind of, <laughs> I wasn't trying to minimize it, but I was mocking it because it was, to me, it was like, again, I didn't do anything but click send. Like I didn't do, I didn't, I didn't put any creative uh, effort into that. I didn't put any like, you know, script or fancy light, nothing. I didn't do anything, but just followed a trend. I followed a trend and I made it my own by putting it in my story and just kept sharing it in my story. And that's how you saw me. You said, but because I, I shared that, you came across that, saw the story and were like, you know, yeah, there's more to you than just that story or just that, that filter. And I appreciate that because I'm like of all 22.8 million, like you said, this happened. And I'm like, and this to me is, is what was meant to come from it. You know, there, there's an opportunity there and there, there's, there's growth there and there's, there's a connection, but, Would I do it again? No. (laughs) I probably won't do another silly filter or anything like that. Like there's nothing there's nothing to come of that. I'm not joining TikTok to do all that stuff. Um, but I do understand. I do understand it from the psychology perspective. I do understand it from the mental health perspective and wanting the attention, wanting to go viral, uh, the need uh to do that and the need to keep up with the relevancy and you know the the challenges and everything that's out there. It's to me it's scary because People lose their identity in that and they, they really get caught up in the external validation, you know, being accepted and liked by others when really they don't even know who they are themselves. And those are the people I really want to connect with. Those are the people I really want to work with. I want to, you know, just ask the simple questions of why, you know, why why do you do this? What do you get from this? What are you looking to gain from this? You know, And then the question that really throws them off well who are you (laughs) you know and then it's like it goes a whole other direction from there
0: the temptations to stick to this viral proof blueprint as a content creator if you were lucky enough to have a viral content that urge is very 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 real and i think your ability to say no the art of saying no shines through once more right and i think that's what allowed you to sure you're doing 14 different things now in life But you still are very purposeful and very intentional with the directions you want your life to be because life is both short and long and that both is simultaneously true, right? Because I'm 29 and I've done two careers. I'm a veteran, former policymaker, and now I'm a clinician, podcaster, and I'm only 29. I'm not even 30 yet. And I I really get this question a lot of, oh, you're pretty young. How do you, how have you done all these? And I'm sure you get asked the same thing is my answer is if you're being curious and intentional and being decisive with your ability to say no and say yes, you'll be surprised by how much life you can squeeze into a year or two. It's very, very interesting, but that's a conversation for a different topic. Uh, I want to go down to this sort of train, right? Because once again we talked about saying yes and saying no and I want to ha- highlight your ability to say no to no I'm not going to replicate another filter reel just so I can put my page in the algorithm again cuz even though you gained like 3000 subscribers on or 3000 followers on Instagram overnight
1: yeah I went from I went from like 1220 to like almost 3500 but I've lost some since then and obviously they realized you know the magic is gone and I'm like I'm okay with that <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah so and i want to that comes down to my question it's part of our quality process where i asked you what are some things you're most proud of what are the success stories you value Too, and you talked about my ability to set whatever i want to do and for me to achieving that right can you elaborate on your response of what did you mean by i truly did everything i wanted to do
1: um what i mean by that is everything i set out to do in my life i've done and even on a minor scale. And I'm going to lead with that. My best friend of over 30 years, um, to this day, our, our, our dream job in life was to work at Taco Bell. And we did that. And I always lead with that because I'm like, yo, that's like the funniest thing. Like you're, you're, you're 12, 13 years old. And you know, what do you want to do with your life? Oh, we want to work at Taco Bell. Why? Because mom would always take us to Taco Bell. And that was, Taco Bell, you know, and when he left and moved to Pittsburgh, I missed my buddy and I went out there and stayed with him for a summer. And I was like, yeah, I'm coming out, you know, his mom and dad, of course, you know, they're, they're like my second parents and sure. Come on out for the summer. Hang out. If you're going to come out, you got to work. Cause you're not just going to stay here for nothing. Okay. Well, what do I do? Well, Timmy's working at Taco Bell. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> so Filling out the application and the whole the interview process at the time. And it was, it was all a formality because I was getting the job. But it was just one of those things I'm like, yo, this is really happening, man. Like, we're, we're, we're 18 or whatever we were, 17, 18 at the time after high school, and we're working at Taco Bell. And I worked at Taco Bell with my best friend for eight weeks. I can say that, <laughs> you know? And that to me was like the funniest thing because I always said my dream job was working at Taco Bell, and we worked at Taco Bell. On top of that, DJing. You know, I always said if I was going to DJ, I'd wanted to DJ in multiple states. I want to be able to say I've traveled. I was, I was actually paid to travel to DJ and do what I love. I've done that. And I'm continuing to do that acting, which I still have goals, but yo, know, my friends have seen me on TV. My family goes, I know him, you know, like I always had visions of, of saying that I want to see myself on TV. I want my friends and family to one day look up and go, Oh, yo, I know him. And it's happened. It still happens. I had a, literally had a teacher from high school message me yesterday and say, did you do a Kitchen Saver commercial? And I'm like, yes, miss. Uh, I don't want to say her name, but yes, miss, that was me. Oh, my God, my husband. I just told him, wow, look at you. And I'm like, yeah, I haven't seen you in like 20 some years, but yeah, thank you. Like it, it, it's stuff like that. Like I, everything I've set out to do, I've done. And my wife says, don't say that. Don't say that. Your, your life's not over. Like, don't say that. And I was like, no, I'm saying it in that, like, I still have things I want to do, you know, parts of the world I want to see, you know, trips and travel. I said, but what that does, it keeps me grounded, but also keeps me motivated to say that I can do more. I can do more. I don't have a specific vision on, t- on terms of, you know, what lies ahead with DJing or what lies ahead with acting even, but I'm on the right path, you know, and I'm doing those things. Correction. I always said I wanted to cut a celebrity's hair. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> but this was also when I worked in a barber shop. you ever see like, I don't know, like the movies or television shows, like where they're at a barber shop and a celebrity just happens to come in and they're like, oh, yo, hey. And you know, he randomly picks that barber. I wanted that moment. I haven't had that yet, but.
0: But maybe, you know, when this podcast gets big enough, I'll go to your salon and you can cut my hair. There it is. You know, <laughs> the, you
1: this that's cup. how here, here the story
0: go. will write itself. There it is. Speaking of teacher that I messaged you yesterday from 20 plus years ago who were ecstatic and happy by seeing her former students being in a TV commercial, right? In our qualitative process, Marco, you said one of the most impactful moments and stories you wanted to uphold is you start to develop air quotes, trust issues from your 10th grade teacher. I would love for you to elaborate what that story entails and for us to revisit on the mic.
1: Part of what I want to do ultimately in life is be a storyteller like whether it's you know presenting monologues or uh, sharing stories on stage. I, I always say, I'm going to make you laugh. I'm going to make you cry. I'm going to make you dance. I'm going to make you feel. And I feel like this is my opening. This is why I have trust issues. and Because I remember it vividly. I remember that I was at a point in my life where sports wasn't me. It was my dad. But I always wanted to do acting. I wanted to do something where I could perform and I wanted to try the drama club and to quote my dad at the time, that's for weirdos. That's not. So in my mind I was like, well, I don't really think my, I don't have my dad's support (laughs) because I don't really, I don't really know. And as a teenage boy at the time, that, 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 that hits, you know, like you, you want your dad to support you. He, he, he kind of backhanded support at me. If that's what you want to do. Sure. Yeah. Well, but but it, so it didn't seem like it was really there. So my grades started to slip. Um, I I, I kind of went inward, you know, isolated a lot. I wasn't really engaging in class and I wasn't really like up for much. A teacher who I will refrain I you know I when the story comes out I'll probably change her name but it's a teacher approached me and said I noticed your grades were slipping what's going on with that and at the time I thought she was sincere like she sincerely wanted to know what's going on so I shared you know hey listen I I don't really like sports I don't want to play sports and I figured if my my grades dropped and I wouldn't be eligible to play um So I don't want to. I don't want to do it anymore, and I don't know how. I don't know how else to tell my dad I don't want to play sports. Well, I'll tell you what. If you pick your grades up, maybe we can have a conversation. I want to drop my grades so I don't play sports. Why would I pick my grade up? So then I was like, okay. Well, you know what? If I pick my grades up, here's what I want to do. I want to be part of the drama club. I want to do acting. She's like, you know what? I always see you that way. I always thought you'd be on Broadway or something. You're very funny. You have like such a personality and you know, blah, 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 blah. I'll tell you what, if you bring your grades up, the class was environmental science. Okay. (laughs) If you bring your grade up in environmental science, I know people and I'll tell them about you and I'll let them know that, you know, you're interested and not only just do the drama club here in school, I'll have you meet people in New York Again, I'm 15 years old. My eyes get really big. I'm like, the possibilities. Okay. So I went from a C minus to a B plus in one grade, in one marking period. Boom, here's the paper. Hey, look, I brought the grade up. This lady knew nobody. She had no pull, she had no connections. That's great. That's great. Keep it up. But what about your end? What are you doing here? When I tell you that sat with me it, again, it, the, the story, I'm sure I'll make it funny along the way as I, you know, as I edit it, but that sat with me probably again, up until like my darkest days in like 2009. So we're talking a good 15 years that, 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 that moment of not being able to trust teachers, not being able to trust people in those positions for people to say, do for me and I'll do for you. It really left me in a in a weird space because I I started to go again inward, but trusting that I had to do everything. I couldn't rely on anybody else to do it for me, and I started to do it for me. My twenties were very topsy turvy. I guess you can say I wasn't really I was driven, but I wasn't focused. Like I would do this and then go this way, disconnected in that way. And a lot of it is because of this teacher and this one specific interaction. So teachers, if you're out there listening, or even students, trust your gut, trust yourself. Teachers don't ever do that to a student. Say what you mean and be upfront. Uh, Because I should have called her bluff early on. I'm like, well, if you know people in New York and doing this, why are you teaching here in this school? But again, lesson learned. And it really molded me. It really molded me for a long period of time.
0: This is a really important topic because a lot of High functioning, especially men in a high income positions, finance, you know, real estate, they got to where they are, this so-called prestige and so-called stature in life because of this hyper fixations of being independent, hyperly so and a lot of that is rooted in their parenting, they had to fend for themselves and a lot of times I meet very very mature younger people, men and women. And I realized, oh, a lot of this maturity that I or that the society prays is forced maturity. Nobody chooses to be mature when they don't have to. It's a forced and necessitated by life. And but then I share that because a lot of those friends of mine who are extremely high income, high functioning individuals, now their biggest struggle in their relationship, in their marriage and whatever is hyper independence. They don't know how to call for help. They don't know how to seek help when they want to. They don't know how to open up and vent to their partner because they were like, oh, I have to burden the burden of this world on my shoulders because that's how they survived. And it was adequate for them for X amount of years, but no more. But so hard to unprogram that tendency.
1: It is. And for me, it was a flip. It was a flip in that early on, <clears throat> like I said, 14, 15 years old, I would say your average typical teenager. You know, I was into music, into sports, you know, very sociable. I went to like all the school dances and everything, but direction wise, I didn't have any, you know, I knew the things I wanted to try, but because of this particular moment, I was like, I don't don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And again, through my twenties, I was directionless. I wasn't the recreational type where I, I, I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. But I wasn't really applying myself in anything. I wasn't going to school because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't go, you know, pursue much because what would it lead to? What was the point? Again, the trust issues. Until I had my moment in 2009 and I realized I can't live like this. I I choose not to live like this. And recognizing that I took all of that on myself – carried all that weight and it got me where, you know, who was I and what was I doing? And then realizing, wow, this is my bottom and, you know, what I did and what I went through. I feel like I'm being vague because I don't know if I want to go down that road. But I think after that moment, back in 2009, I realized I've got some living to do. I've got some, some, some decisions to make and I made them. And I realized that I can ask for help and I should ask for help when need be. And beginning to look for not only my purpose, but tapping into my potential. And here I am. I joke sometimes and say, you know what? People say you started late or, you know, you started at an older age. But no, I'm only like 13 years old.
0: And I think that context helps me a lot because now I understand, oh, he didn't have a life that he felt fulfilled in. He didn't have a life that he was truly comfortable living in until 2009, until this catalyzing events that I'm sure it was dark and painful, but as you know, how pain teachers go, right. They teach you some of the most important lessons for you to be receptive, which you are, and then you carry forward. And but I just want to put this on a messaging board for men, because I'm a clinician, he's a mental health professional plus 14 other things that he does that, especially for men, like this patriarchal framework of America it disservice woman in a very obvious way. The pink attacks, 70 cents for every dollar that man makes, all these things, the downsides of patriarchy is obvious for a woman. But if fucking disservice men equally in terms of mental health-wise, that, oh, to be a man, you got to be six foot, machoism, you got to exhibit certain characteristics, oh, you cannot ask for help, you have to be the provider, but also these characteristics that America wants you to become, but you don't. it doesn't have to be that way. And calling for help is no shame. Seeing a therapist is no shame. These are all just ways to better your life so you can be more optimal in whatever container you show up as. Become a, you want to make more money? Go see a therapist. I promise you, you will make more money. You will be better at your job, X, Y, and Z. And this is a really, really important and thing I'm very passionate about that we're both passionate about.
1: And even for myself, the therapist, like I'm, you know, again, being a mental health professional, seek a coach. You know, if you, if there's anything you want to pursue in life or you really feel passionate about, get a coach, get a mentor. You know, you have one, I have one, you know, myself in terms of like, not just a life coach in terms of the the life perspective, but a professional coach. If it's something specific that you want to gear towards, find someone who does it and does it well and align your beliefs with that. It's, being open and receptive to asking for that help, help <clears throat> asking for the help, but also understanding that you can't do it by yourself. You know, as the saying goes, going solo means going so low. And yeah, I, oh. I, I don't want it, I don't want anybody to revisit what I revisited back in 09.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. I, you're a man of one liners, he seems, <laughs> but I like that a lot. So speaking of messaging board, Marco, we're definitely coming towards the end of the episode. Yeah. So, before I hit you with the signature hallmark, discover more question that I know you're familiar with, I want to hit you up and tie this with this menu, the me and you, mm-hmm. the man's university program you're in the developing of mm-hmm. currently as we speak. So, let's say on a written giant messaging board outside of the mentorship program, like mentored by Marco or whatever man's university name you would come up with, mm-hmm. what will be some of the messages and words written on that? messaging board for the people to see? First and foremost, you are enough.
1: A lot of times the the men don't feel like they're good enough or worthy enough because of how they provide or what they provide um, outside of a job or a status. So understanding that you are enough. Um, You are not alone and that you don't have to do it by yourself. Whether you're asking your spouse or whoever for help, uh, you are not alone in that aspect. There are men out there. I, I like to use the term like minded because, in some way, shape, or form, men have that same je ne sais quoi. <laughs> like, you know, like those ins and outs, you know, of each man. Um, we cry, we laugh, we have emotions. We all have emotions, we all have feelings. It's how we choose to tap into them, you know. So, you're not alone in that. You're allowed to think, you're allowed to feel, you're allowed to react you know, and recognize what it is you're reacting to and build from that. Lastly, you are the one. You are the one. You, again, you are enough. You're not alone. You are the one. You are the one in who determines your fate, who determines the life you choose. It's ultimately up to you. Not a job, not a position, um, anything external. It's you. It's in you.
0: Yeah, that reminds me about the a message that the episode will be releasing next week. His name is Arsh. He's the host of the top 200 business podcasts in the world. And he talks about, he believes anyone can always rebrand themselves, especially for like a smaller startup or business owner. Example he gave was Airbnb, right? They tried to package them once to the VC, venture capitalist, didn't work. They repackaged it again for the second time. That didn't work. They did it for the third and fourth time. And then through a fourth, third and fourth time, that's when Airbnb that we know now stuck and became the Airbnb of today. So I sense that message from what you just said, right? That you are enough and that you are worthy. and You can always have a choice and power in how you want to transform your life. If there's anything you don't really like about yourself because of circumstances, because of the decisions so far, it's never too late. Just like how you went into acting and modeling at 2015, being coached at the moment by film students who's half your age. So I just wanna highlight that twice.
1: Yeah, and a lot of it too, also <clears throat> to echo that sentiment as far as you know, the, you know, things changing, Airbnb changing. A lot of times people get discouraged um, based on ideas. Everybody, I always say this, everybody has an amazing idea. But why did you? why don't you see that great idea through? How come a lot of times we don't see that great idea come to fruition or into play? It's because we get discouraged along the way, or we don't know what to do, or we don't know how to respond to it, or we're thinking ahead. We're thinking of steps eight, nine, and 10 without thinking, taking step one. And that idea never sees the light of day. And then the DJ in me comes along and I go, you know, what was once a great idea? The song Thriller from Michael Jackson. Greatest selling album of all time, right? We all know the video and, you know the, you know, the dancing and everything like that. You're in L.A. That's where they filmed the video and everything. But not a lot of people know Thriller. The idea of Thriller was a song called Starlight. doesn't have the same ring to it, right? doesn't have the same feel, right? Not dancing to that. Not dancing with, with zombies or anything. <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm taking from that is every great idea can be adjusted. Every great idea can be modified if you're surrounding yourself with the right supports, if you're asking the right questions, not only of yourself, but those around you. Every great idea can see the light of day if you're willing to follow through with it. And I know it's easier said than done because we will get discouraged and we will get upset at the lack of effort or the lack of uh, courage sometimes. But understand that every idea can be adjusted. Every idea can be modified. You know, and it's not going to be what you thought it would be here. And what it ends up being here, it's the fun you have along the way. So, again, that fear and excitement part of it, you know, choose joy, choose the excitement.
0: It's definitely a mic drop moment for us to enter to the Discover More question. <laughs> so the question serves twofold, Mark. The first question is, after this very encompassing and insightful conversation with you, Marco, mm-hmm. what is an area in your life? any sectors of your life you want to discover more about after this? And the second fold is what is an area or domain in our listeners' life that you want to encourage or even challenge them to discover more about after this conversation? Mm.
1: I am really, really afraid, (laughs) and I'm admitting this, I am really, really afraid of working out sometimes. And this stems from one time I went to the gym and threw up in public. I was working with a trainer and they just kind of, I don't don't know if they did it on purpose. I still don't to this day know if they did it on purpose. (laughs) Freaked me out, scared me. And I was just like, I don't, I don't like that feeling. I don't don't want to do that. So I got discouraged from working out. So what I wanted to discover more is my potential at my age now going forward. Because in your twenties, you know, and you'll soon to see in your thirties, we're a different animal. Right, we do things, you know. <laughs> consequence, you know, you know, it's there, but it's not as risky, you know. Like we'll deal with it in the morning. But for my someone like myself in your mid forties, mm, I want to discover more what I can do in terms of my health and wellness, my flexibility, uh, pushing myself. But it doesn't mean pushing myself like these heavy weights or anything like that. Discovering more possibilities with yoga, with meditation with roller skating. I, I freaking love roller skating. I, I, it was something I did as a kid and I rediscovered it. And I want to discover more of it. Being able to skate backwards. I just learned how to this year to roller skate backwards. Like when you go to the skating rink and they say backwards skate only, I can do that now. And I, I love that because it's not only a form of leisure, it's wellness. There's activity involved. There's cardio involved. Uh, coordination, you know, as far as motor skills, but also with yoga, the mindfulness that comes with that, you know, slowing everything down and being able to just not, you know, work so strenuously, but my breathing, you know, and being able to tap into that and recognizing that this is all building my health and increasing uh, my strength, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. So I want to discover more of that of myself. Um, What was the second part as far as discovering more
0: Uh, For the listeners.
1: For the listeners. I would challenge listeners to discover more about who they are. And what I mean by that is, I like to do this and I like to do that. No, challenge yourself by asking, who are you? A lot of times we answer that question by what we do. Well, I'm an actor, a model, a barber. Not so much about what you do. Who are you? What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you thrive on? What are you afraid of? What are you excited by? Challenge yourself by discovering more about you. What makes you tick? Where were you 10 years ago as opposed to today? Where would you like to see yourself in 10 years? Okay, one year. Now, we don't want to do what the therapist did and, you know, <laughs> and, you know, as far as the active listening, but where do you see yourself in the future? You know, so, but discovering more of yourself and asking that question of who are you?
0: And it's called discovering more because it's an active verb. Right. It's not just discover, it's discovering more because it's active. It's an active process.
1: Yeah. And it can be fun. It can be fun because a lot of times like a question like that it can be scary. Like you know, a lot of people say, Well, I don't know who I am. That's part of the process. Like I, I was able to discover more about myself by confronting my fears, by confronting the things that I was <clears throat> afraid to attempt before. You know, whether it was yeah, modeling acting like i said the first time i ever did a a print job as a model and i was like i don't know where to put my hands like what do i do because you think on the surface you think model hey their face okay i gave my headshot, and someone selected me but now i have to pose or turn or do something. and i'm like there's a lot of layers there's a lot of elements to that i respect it a lot more but i'm also discovering more of what it entails by you know connecting with it and being open to it same thing with acting and taking different roles. I took my first drama role this year. You know, I'm usually someone who does a lot of commercial work, but I took a dramatic role where I actually have to pull my hair back in a ponytail and I say the F-word a lot. <laughs> and it was it was different for me because I wanted to challenge myself in a way where I was like this isn't me, me per se. This isn't like how I would handle a certain situation, but this is what the script calls for. And how would I portray this. And then in turn, discovering more about what the director wants or discovering more about what the co-stars, you know, you know, the people I'm working with, how we can all make this connection work. So being able to discover all those things is is a great play on words for yourself in terms of the action involved with it, but also it, it, there's a lot of potential in it. There's a lot of fun and excitement in it.
0: Yeah. And it's like life, right? It's a multi layered That's what life is. It's very non-linear, right? And this reminds me about a quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. She said, everything you desire. No, on the other side of fear is everything you desire. And I know you've been very big on your mental health minutes about if you're, if you're scared, if you're afraid, deal with scared, do it afraid. And it's honestly, you can unlock so many doors and gateways to life and in life if you just go a little bit farther than you think you can. And it's under those pressure, I think, diamonds or gems are made. But obviously, that's a very cliche advice. But yeah, speaking of everything you desire is on the other side, uh, where can people connect with you? This is where I roll out the red carpet for you. If they want to check out your Mental Health Monday on Twitch, becomes one of your patrons, one of your subscribers, or connect with you on Instagram, ask you a couple mental health or DJ or acting or modeling or barber-related positions. Where can, they, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, I'm very accessible and very open to all of that in terms of like the DMs and the messages as well on Instagram and Twitch. It's Marco Rosario twenty four. Uh, that's my full name and the number twenty four at the end. Okay, and this is interesting. Folks ask me what the twenty four is. So this is this is this is breaking news here. The twenty four is my birthday. Ten fourteen. So. A lot of folks have asked why the 24, why the significance. It's always been my favorite number, but 24 is a combination of my birthday, 10, 14. But on Instagram, it's Marco Rosario24. On Twitch, twitch.tv slash Marco Rosario24. Um, mentored by Marco is my business on Google, uh, which I'm just, I was literally just verified this week. So I'm excited for that. Um, it was something my coach had discussed with me and saying, you need to step into these opportunities. You know, you've created a platform on Twitch. You've got, you've created a following where folks are willing to not only listen to you, but work with you and and want want to work with you. It's time to do that. And on the other side of fear (laughs) is everything I desire. And I ultimately desire to, to help others. So mentored by Marco, the name came to me and I was like, that's what we're going to go with as far as my mentoring and coaching business, uh, which is getting started. Uh, the men's group menu that we talked about, M-E-M-U, is something that can be coordinated through Twitch, but ultimately we do that uh, men's group. where we're, uh, Right now, I've got a good eight to ten guys, and we're building more and more on that. We do Zoom calls. Uh, we'll be opening up a Discord for more interactive stuff in terms of uh, coping strategies and techniques. Um, so, again, any of those platforms, you can reach out and connect with me, and I'd be more than happy to, to help you out or work with you.
0: Aside from all of these amazing things that Mark's and also congratulations on Google Verification officially on the show, but that as someone who's in mid 40s, he just had another opportunity to start a brand new business on Google through the opportunity of real going viral is a following and his community is cultivating and growing on Twitch. I, I want to conclude the episode on that, though, because most of our listeners in between 23 to 27, that's like the uh, main demographic for age wise, podcast analytics is horrible. So there's very limited information aside from downloads and all that. And I think that's really important because, like, as I said earlier, life is both short and long and you can do so many things when you think, oh, I'm too old. It's too late. I don't have this X Y and Z fill in the blank. It's not Mark. After this entire episode, if you have made to this far, Mark is doing cool things in life, and now he's doing even additional thing because he knows what he wants. He's purposeful, and he's saying no to the misaligned opportunities, but saying yes to the right ones. And that's huge. And he's forty six, and a lot of uh, the yeah, greats, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of the greats in this world, they didn't start doing. The, what put them on the map, so to speak, until in their 40s and 50s. And I've seen that success stories. I've seen those data points, so uh, so-called data points in my life, in my own show with 80 plus guests I've done. And that is a universal theme that I really want people to really sip in. That you can reinvent and do more with your life if you want to. Doesn't matter the age. Doesn't matter the conditions. Of course, there's extreme scenarios, right? Um, But such an amazing way. And I really enjoyed this episode with you, Mark. Uh, You shared a lot of really important things. And I really feel like having someone like you that represents different pathway of life, because there's many ways to get to the same point. Right. Uh, But I think how we choose that path is really important. Do you have any parting words to the listeners uh, to close up this episode?
1: Uh, nothing in that. I appreciate y'all. Your your listening. I appreciate your insight as well. I appreciate you know you having me. Um, if your demographic is twenty three to twenty seven, my my parting words to them would be: try not or do not compare yourself to anyone. To compare is unfair. I like to say because a lot of times, and we look at that stuff whether it's social media or people we see on an everyday basis. Comparing yourself is the first step in detracting you from what it is you want to do.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's how we're going to end today's episode. And to all the listeners, as always, uh, please like, subscribe and comment. That really helps the channel grow. This is an important topic we're having, not just mental health, but that you don't have to stick to the one fixed pathway that life calls you to. That's not real. That's your self talk. That's the government. That's the society. But you can choose your own path. And as Marco said beautifully, you get to choose joy when you want to, no matter the circumstances. And with that, thank you to everyone for discovering more with us this week. And always, as always, see you next time.